0: This is Season 3 of the Broke Architect Podcast. This podcast has now been referenced in keynote speeches at Arabia HQ, Architects Journal, BD Online and GB News. Should you wish to sponsor this podcast, please contact me at globalarchitectalliance.com.
1: Just as an example, one piece of work that we did last year is we took ViewCity, Site Solve, and Revit, and we integrated all those software together, so that they worked in a, a really seamless manner. And took what took took uh, weeks to produce, and scaled that down, and we could do that in a matter of minutes. So identify a site, generate different solutions, and then build a Revit model directly out of a, a standardized set of kit uh, of parts.
2: Processes and rely heavily on data. So if a company doesn't have robust processes already set up to deliver um, good quality um, results or or kind of available, a lot of um, data that they can leverage, then AI won't really do much for the practice.
3: AI can't do that yet. It doesn't understand what that really is, because there's a lot of emotional and culture, cultural and emotional aspects to that
1: part of architecture, I guess. All of this AI is based around large language models, a certain set of data, and that data becomes critical, doesn't it? Because it's like, well, what are we relying on to make these decisions? Because we know there are biases in there.
3: Where I still see a big issue with with AI is how do you create an automatization that can fit a local culture
4: as well, but also fit a specific person as well. And maybe this is a time that we can spread architecture for people that before was not able to pay for it.
0: But if that practice is keeping and and will keep that sort of data and the learning from designing three data centers, when it does its next one, if it can use AI and AI can learn, um, how to optimize that data center, then they're going to have a huge advantage potentially. Thank you and now onto the show. This podcast episode began with a post on LinkedIn, which I will read out to establish what this episode is all about as we have some wonderful people with us today. Now, Gen AI or Generative Artificial Intelligence will significantly impact architecture, policy planning and urban design, and it can redefine the boundaries of creativity and efficiency. It offers the ability to generate countless design options and automate repetitive tasks, aiding architects and urban designers in developing, developing optimized Solutions. So I'm seeking, and and I put this post out architects and computational designers to debate. And this is why we're here tonight to explore how we can use Gen AI to equip architects to thrive with the focus being on becoming highly valuable and profitable. And we need to understand what processes and tasks we can automate and make faster, more informed decisions, but can we also take on new roles? I will stop here and can our
1: first guest introduce themselves? Hi, thanks Jason. Uh, I'm Alistair Lewis, I am an architect uh, by background, uh, I'm based in the UK, so in the south of England, and I've been working in the construction industry for 25 years. As a way of introduction to me, as I said, my background is as an architect, but I've transitioned into being a BIM manager over that period of time as well uh, and got involved with projects across pr- predominantly a lot of local authority projects, doing schools and community centres and uh, housing through that, uh, and got very much involved with collaborative design. Um, my previous role was at a company called Cope, which is developing off site construction software, and uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later in, in what I'm going to introduce. Um, But that was as a kind of product manager lead for developing kind of software integrations and doing research around different pieces of software. So I've founded my own company now, which is called Automated Data Driven Design. And there's kind of two roles within that one is as a consultancy to help architects engineers and construction professionals to save time searching reviewing testing and implementing new software in construction technology but also i've created the ad marketplace which is an online platform for construction technology solutions and what i think that is is what i've called the fast forward for construction to be better faster and more productive so it's really great to be here today uh, to talk about these issues. And that marketplace is for architecture, engineering, and construction software companies to put their, their software out there and for users to actually be able to find and use this, this, um, this software and technology which is out there. So, just turning to generative design itself, here are some of my kind of initial thoughts to start with this. So, I think that at the big scale, at the global context, we know that uh, by the year 2050, there's going to be around 10 billion people uh, on the planet. and Based upon that, we need 13,000 buildings built a day to accommodate all those people. And we know that the construction industry isn't going to meet that demand in the way that we currently work. And we need to obviously develop sustainable solutions uh, and we need to develop different ways of working. And the advent of AI and generative design and computational design is allowing us to attack these problems in a different way. I think over the last 10 years or 15 years, we have had some significant challenges which has changed where we are as an industry so we've had obviously downturns and recessions during that period of time which has meant that the architectural profession in particular and the construction industry was affected by that we have a reduction in skilled workforce so that again that changes how we are going to be able to produce all these these new uh, structures. The COVID pandemic, we're all very aware of that had a huge impact on, on where we, we are. Uh, and the climate crisis probably is, is one of the biggest issues that we have to to face us. So naturally, we're looking for new solutions to help with, with what we need to do. I use this quote a lot by William Gibson. He says, the future is already here. It's not very evenly distributed. And I think what we're going to be talking about today is there's loads of different tools out there But it's not necessarily they're not well known or they're not uh, used effectively or people don't know how to use them. So what I'm trying to do in the work I do, and and it's really great to be on here today, is to talk about actually there's all these different solutions out there. Can we use them better? Can we uh, improve the way that we work? And, you know, generative design and generative AI has emerged really quickly recently, which is really good. Um, Specifically, my experience with this in the past is is very much focused around generative design tools uh, used at early stage feasibility for architects and developers. So I've used tools like Forma, Archistar, Spacio, SiteSolve, and these are all really good early stage spe- uh, feasibility tools for the industry, uh, and they help architects to assess sites really quickly, and make informed decisions, and it's about that sort of automation, having much better informed decisions about uh, what we can do, and again, having good analysis of those as well to help with this sort of the low carbon side of these. The way that AI is developing is that they're. You know, Lots of different software are producing kind of co-pilots to go with their software, with this AI, and that's really helpful for users to start thinking about actually how can I apply greater intelligence to the work that I do and speed it up. Just as an example, one piece of work that we did last year is we took ViewCity, Solve, and Revit and we integrated all those software together so that they worked in a a really seamless manner and took what took took, uh, weeks to produce and scaled that down. And we could do that in a matter of minutes. So identify a site, generate different solutions, and then build a Revit model directly out of a a standardized set of uh, kit of parts. And with Cope, where I used to work, they produced a piece of software which will take an IFC model, a standard model, and apply products to that so that you can then get on site, prefabricate those elements get all the information produced really really quickly so i'm conscious a little bit of time the way that I can see it is that there are all these tools emerging and they are integrating AI, which is really great. Uh, they're not necessarily generative AI in themselves. Some of them are generative design, computational design, as Jason said at the beginning. Um, but they support you know, this, this kind of need and push towards working more effectively and better as an industry. And I think at the moment, we are focusing very much on early stage concept design, which is great and interesting. But I think I'd like to see things working harder at detailed design stage, in particular because we know it takes a really long time it's fraught with cost difficulty and risk and i think we could leverage these tools to you know to to create buildings in a better way in a faster way and that will meet some of those bigger picture challenges that i've talked about so what i'm trying to do is kind of democratize access to this technology and i think that that's really interesting And i find the whole area of construction technology really interesting uh, and that's that's what i'm trying to do yeah that's all i've got to say i think at the moment hopefully that helps and yeah look forward to kind of um, debating this a bit more today
0: thank you Alistair that was wonderful you were just in time the introduction (laughs) of yourself doesn't include in the six minutes so so uh so I really appreciate that I've been writing down a few questions I want to follow up with after we hear from our next speaker so uh so thank you thank you very much if you'd like to introduce yourself. Um... Hi, Jason. Um,
2: um, yeah, thanks for um, inviting me. My name is uh, Christoph. Um I'm currently working as an architect in um, UK. I'm based in Leicester. Uh, until recently, I worked the technologies, but uh, um, as, as of recent, I'm kind of a practicing architect. So I've kind of jumped between in and out architecture and technology for, for nearly a decade. But I've worked in kind of parametric computational design and coding for a lot more than that. I started back in my uni days, early 2010, 2011, and I'm kind of trying to follow that, implement as much as possible, really these things into my workflow. On the topic that how we can use the generative AI to equip architects to drive. Um, there are many forms of AI, uh, and I don't think every solution out there that's marketed as AI is, is actual form of AI. There are still a lot of um, smart solutions. Uh, that doesn't mean that um, because they're not AI, really, that they, they can't be implemented. They're hard to um, implement. Uh, that they're hard to develop. Yeah, there is somehow kind of a, um, a steep learning curve. But but all of these things are kind of very accessible um, and kind of readily to use. Um, in my opinion, the industry is not really reached the levels of digitalization to kind of reap the full benefits of AI. But it's still everyone needs to test it out and um, see what it can do for them, see what they can do, and just generally don't have the fear to dive in uh, because in reality, you might get left behind. Gen AI and all the other kind of new technology – They they, they do bring some novelty. They they kind of build on the existing processes and rely heavily on data. So if a company doesn't have robust processes already set up to deliver um, good quality um, results or or kind of available, a lot of um, data that they can leverage, then AI won't really do much for the practice. Uh, So it's really important to have these two key components good processes, good robust processes and data in order to develop and implement AI successfully. There are many areas that obviously uh, Gen AI can be implemented. Most people probably associate that with just project uh, design, experimentation, creating um, new design kind of novelty. But AI can help with project deliverables uh, to deliver more smarter and intelligent buildings, better end design, also uh, exploration, optimization of existing design, and not last, firm operations, um, analytics to assist kind of uh, decision-making in terms of timelines, uh, budget, resources, all these things that are really kind of critical for, for um, successful practice management, to be fair. In terms of computation design tools uh, that are more, Task specific, these will be kind of easier to implement uh, in all the day workflow than entirely new workflow models. I think that's what I found through, through experience. The more you try to deviate from the, the standard that uh, the already kind of preset uh, processes in practice that, that companies have, the more difficult it is to get people on board. So there, there is kind of a steeper learning curve um, in the code, the understanding in and out, but not everyone kind of needs to understand these things. So, I would really encourage people to kind of dive in, see what's out there. It's simple, accessible,
0: and, and can be quite impactful, to be fair. That's wonderful. Yeah, Gabriel, you're, on, you're our next speaker. Please introduce yourself, and then your six minutes will start.
4: Hello, hello, everybody. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me. And my name is Gabriel Bremer. I'm living in Portugal, but I'm born in Brazil. I have my degree in South America, in Brazil as well. Uh, I moved to Portugal in 2016. I work in a company for hospital projects for four years and basically I've between uh visualization and uh design concept in all the the places that I work I have experience in, in a in a 3D company that is I think it's the biggest company in Portugal 1825 they are great great people and Basically, we always try to reproduce the real world in digital world and all the the other guys speak. It's something that we are doing in our jobs, like reproducing and going to detail and check all the the information. And after that, I moved to a company that's based on Saudi Arabia and uh, have a mix of projects, residential, retail, and uh, during this process, when AI appears, uh, uh, we start to uh, research better tools to, to improve or speed up the process. And uh, what I feel is about uh, uh, the base of everything around AI now, it's make the architects understand that it's not something to fear about it, because the people that keep in denying that AI is here, we will not keep and stand in, in those positions, because... It's just a new tool, it's a revolutionary tool. I, I know that it's a big step ahead. But uh we shouldn't fear about this tool. It's just a new one. Like I can imagine in a long time ago when Brunelles developed the perspective systems, maybe it was the same. The people who start to fear like, how how I can survive with new technologies. It's, it's always like that. But usually the people have a fear of something that comes to, to help in many ways. And maybe it's time to, to think about how I can fit in uh, architecture with these new tools, because now they are completely spread in different areas. You can go for visualization, we will find the tool for visualization. You go to modeling, you will find something, but they are not accurate. For me, it's strange like that. Uh, check uh, the first. Technology that is computer technology that it's not uh, have this level of accurate. Like if you remember when the the architects moved from uh, paper and pen for a computer, we received a huge amount of uh, accuracy when you develop or deliver it. something is perfect. And now it's different. Like uh, when you prompted something for AI to develop a, a image. It's not precisely. I test some tools and and I think we have a lot to 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 improve yet. But that's it. It's not uh, uh, something to fear. And they come to to add more value in the softwares. Like someone asking about how can we retrieve um, with this technology. It's like uh, for now, it's the cost of equipment. You know that uh, uh, to be an architect, we expense. A, a, lot of money in hardware and software and the the main software are struggling to to get the this the best ai tools and include in in, in the workflow but they still uh, uh not so good like i don't know if you are test uh, uh other how many uh, softwares did you test but uh in office i think mid is kicking a five fly from the dope And I don't mean Adobe is a huge company. Probably they will fix this and they are big players. But this gives more tools for architect. So now you can choose. And when you have competitions in the market, usually the the users can get more more benefit about it. And I think, yeah, we we should concern about uh, uh, jobs for sure. I saw an interview about Gita, Gopinath, if I'm not spelling bad, but uh, she's a chief economic chief from EMF about uh, a lot of positions will be lost with AI and I think we're not here if we looking for this technology as a tool that can help us develop projects for people like uh, architecture, at least in Brazil. like I've been in Portugal since 2016, but in Brazil, architecture is still a very fancy uh, product it's not everybody can get and maybe this is a time that we can spread architecture for people that before was not able to pay for it and now with those kind of tools maybe we can reach reach these people and offer a better price and maybe make profitable with amount of clients maybe it can be a solution this is my point
0: yeah thank you gabriel there you, you there's something there you've raised that I want to come back on about, you know, maybe will it lead to less architects or will it lead to um, architects being, um, I guess, able to be more profitable with using these tools as like a copilot, which I think was Alice, Alistair was saying about, you know, this co yeah. copilot. But we're, go- we're going to come back to it. I want to let Jason, you are next. Please introduce yourself and then we'll get into your six minutes.
3: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason Jones. I'm an architect in Switzerland, in Zurich, Switzerland. I've been active for the past five years. The first three years, I was I was actually working in London, UK, but more for private individuals, especially in... Um, I guess most of my experience is with private individuals who seek bespoke design and bespoke elements to their living arrangements, whatever arrangements that would be. So I guess my experience comes from a, quite a different point of view. It's not really based on urban design or scaling up or make, or efficiency. It's all about more of an artistic side of architecture. Um, I'm really glad to be part of this call to, to give my insight. So thank you very much. Me and a good friend of mine, I, we're actually an architect and engineer duo so um, we have our own firm here in Switzerland, in, in, not in Zurich, but in Zug, which is a different part of Switzerland, where when it comes to AI, obviously, um, you know, we're quite, we're the younger generation of architects. We're a new generation of architects and engineer. Um, so we are really keen on understanding this tool because out of my experience, um, we will be the ones who really need to understand this especially in switzerland the construction industry is still very old school a lot of buildings get built with not a lot of tech at all there's still architects out there who actually draw by hand if you believe it or not switzerland is even though you know i guess um, the international perspective of switzerland is that it's a quite a developed country which is true however in the construction industry it's still very very one-sided because i would assume there's the you know there's a lot of architects who still do things a very old way, and you don't need a degree to become an architect in Switzerland. Um, so a lot of architects do apprenticeships. There's like two sides in Switzerland. Where I would like to see AI, and out of, I've used AI, I've used multiple different tools, because we want to get you know get a hang of it. We want to understand how this is going to change for us, because we've only have five, between five and seven years of experience. So how are we going to use this for our future? Our future is important. And we're going to be building for the next generation of people in Switzerland who need homes and everything. There's a lot changing here. And what we realized um, is that AI at the moment, um, as the name says, generative, it just generates images. Um many tools, let's say a bulk of the tools. They generate images. Um our clientele is they want specific things. You know they don't know really what they want, but they want specific, bespoke design and in our what we discovered is that ai at the moment is quite useless if you want to design something that's very site specific or something that's specific for a client's lifestyle for their needs and for their for whatever they want i understand when people are afraid because you know i feel like every time there's a new technology people think the world is going to go on there it's going to be apocalypse everybody's going to get replaced by robots like in terminator or something but I feel like if a lot of architects will start trying out, dabbling with these tools, you get to see that um, at the moment, they're really like five-year-olds. They're like infants. They can't really do anything. My biggest struggle is AI doesn't understand materials. It doesn't understand how humans use buildings. For example, something simple as a living room, it understands that visually, there's a sofa and a chair in a living room, but it doesn't know how humans use it. it? And so it will sometimes rearrange certain elements of a house completely random or for example it doesn't know that glass is actually a solid material it thinks it's it thinks that you can go through it or for example it doesn't understand you know the physicality of concrete like how how far can i span concrete compared to steel compared to wood and doesn't understand the path of the sun like if i want to design something that um, I want to, you know, understand the sun throughout the whole year on this specific site where our clients are. Obviously, it's very important that it understands building regulations and Switzerland has very, very complicated building regulations. Um, I was just at a site on Saturday to, uh, you know, do some measurements and understand some clients are having difficulties understanding how they can build a house on this really steep hillside uh, where they want to capture the view. But the view is being blocked by a forest, so they only have about seven meters where they can have a view, so and then the Swiss building regulations on that hillside are very strict. So where I would love to see AI tap in is not generate beautiful imagery, imagery. I want to see it understand building regulations, materials, the site, and help me to you know help the clients to create an atmosphere, a space that they really like, that they feel comfortable, a building that can last longer than just twenty years and has to get torn down again. Because that's a problem in Switzerland. Buildings get torn down in 20 years again. They're not good quality anymore. Stuff like that. And at the moment, I don't see AI going in that direction yet. I feel like that is the goal. And I feel like that could help me and many architects to actually do their job more efficiently and focus more on the client. Especially, specifically in my realm where it's private individuals who are seeking something <laughs> very specific, while AI could be like, a, I guess, like an assistant. And I guess there's a lot, there's a big group of architects in Switzerland, they, they, they really pursue quite an artistic way of, of designing and thinking about space and atmosphere and everything. AI can't do that yet. It doesn't understand what that really is, um, because there's a lot of emotional and culture, cultural and emotional aspects to that
0: part of architecture, I guess. Wow, thank you, Jason. There's so much in that. And I think we've got we've got into um, understanding what A, the possibilities are of AI and its limitations as well, which I think you've uh, pointed out there. Thank you all for your opening statements. I think the first thing I would like to, maybe it's something that Alistair touched on, this co-pilot idea. Do you see it in the future? And it'll be interesting to listen back to this podcast in five years time to see if the things that we're saying now have all been solved um i don't think they they will have but um we'll see but do you think having ai as a co-pilot will lead to less architects
1: in in the world so i think it's really interesting we've all kind of talked about yeah some sort of assistance ai assistant co-pilot i think it's quite quite interesting i think one of the things I was thinking about is that we still need we still need humans to make that filtering process judge and assess and understand the solutions that get generated. So, you know, you can create thousands of different options, but you still need someone, you know, to to filter that. There are obviously rules, and I suppose with AI, there's prompts, or with generative design, there are. Uh, constraints that you will put in, in terms of size, width, height, you know, those sort of things. But having a, an ability to have an AI co pilot there just to steer or to guide, you know, I think that's going to be really helpful. And I would think it's probably going to be one of the first like real ways that, or it seems to be a lot where software are, are putting it into there. So, like, oh, we can use AI to do this. So, an example of that is in in Revit. You know, you've got uh, Evolve Labs have created Verus, which is a generative AI rendering uh, capability within Revit, and and that's a kind of a, a kind of like a copilot. It's kind of like you know we can generate lots of ideas for you, but you still need a person to filter and sort and and cast their critical eye over that. And I think that's 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 what's really important for architects is that you know, we can hopefully do more with less. We can retain that quality process uh, you know, over things so we could say, because you, you, you're going to need that, I think. I think that's really important. And I don't, don't think we can outsource that, you know, not yet anyway.
0: Maybe if I just put it into context, a, a little bit of a historical context, and every, I want everyone to give their opinion on this. I'm not 100% sure that architects have been profitable for a long, long time so we had the drawing board okay we were we were drawing things by hand and it's still happening in switzerland uh, jason yeah, i'm hearing you know some architects definitely have been profitable you know computers were obviously invented um in my lifetime if you were going back to that that sort of time i think people would say oh we can use this this power the power of computers we can design in 3d and we can hopefully be more profitable it doesn't seem to have happened on the ground and I just wonder now with AI coming in and you know using big data and algorithms do we do we really think we're still going to be in that same situation does anyone want to jump in on this one anyone else
3: I could say something I think so I guess I speak with my partner a lot about this I actually had a, a long conversation with my sister about this and I feel like Um, The way I understand what the profession of an architect is, it's not necessarily only drawing something so it can be built. Um, I feel like, I mean, at least me and and my uh, partner, my engineer friend, we spend a lot in thinking about um, humans, I guess, about, you know, human behavior from our specific clients. And we try to come up a solution based on, you know, how they feel, their, their cultural background, the, you know, we try to package up, like, the design is just the, the outcome of the way we think about how buildings should be made and the way our clients think about how they want to live their life. And I feel like this, I don't know, I just, I don't know if AI can really understand that. And I feel like the architect's role might just grow into a position where we just think about how do we rearrange our society? How do we do, you know, how do we solve certain um infrastructure issues, um, and there's people who need to spend time in thinking about these issues, you know, and especially in Switzerland, at the moment, if I can make another example, it's an incredibly small country. and the many years ago the government banned new zoning. So we have zero zoning. There's no zoning left. So a lot of architects now are trying to figure out what is what is a future way of living because we have to build more smaller, just like in Japan, for example. But the Swiss person is not ready yet to make these changes. So, what kind of different living solutions, uh, you know? And there's a lot of experiments in Zurich. There's a, a group of architects who decided let's build a huge apartment block. But in one apartment, there's seven families, and so these seven families get together and they're renting this one space. But they have to start building up their own divisions and everything. And they they are proposing maybe this is a maybe this is a solution how people should live in Switzerland. And I feel like. Everyday people, no matter if you're a train driver, a bus driver, or like a baker, fishmonger, a banker, these people don't have time to think about how to rearrange society. So I feel like maybe the architect's role is going to be more, how do we live together? Our cities are getting bigger. Our space is getting smaller. The things are getting way more expensive. How do we rearrange Humans and somebody has to think about these things, right? And it takes years, you know,
0: to think about, to come up with solutions. How do we rearrange people, you know? That's so powerful, Jason. Thank you so much. I think we've got Gabrielle next.
4: Yeah, I, I just want to, I agree with, with you, you say, like uh, Jason, uh, uh, the people is still the, the client. So we are working with advantage when you compare an architect, a human being with AI, because we understand how the people would like to live or, Uh, the culture behind the the society that we are looking for, get some uh, reference to construct. And I don't think for the next five years, the AI will be be capable to do that. Like when you play with VELAS, like Alistair said, uh, VELAS is is great. Like he can give you a, a thousand of options in minutes. But we still have one option to construction. Like we, the, the site construction don't multiply to put all these options. So create more options, making create a doubt in, in the client decision. And in the end, I think a human being filtered the, the information is still a, a good option. We still have the, the, the human conditions. We know what we need to, to live. And some people, like in Switzerland, you, Jason said that uh, people are not maybe prepared to live in these kind of conditions. And I saw this in Recife, the place that I, I lived before I moved to, to Portugal. Uh, we have a, 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 time, a, a long time ago, they they decide create a, a residential blocks and the people... In the time was still living in a big house. they are not prepared to to move for these tiny places, the tiny apartments and even being in, in, in a nice area doesn't work this kind of thing we need times to to change. So the change for human beings is, is slowly when you compare with the technology. So the technology too fits in our reality because in the end the client is still a human beings uh, needs to understand our time to change.
0: Van, do you wanted to, to uh, say something It's not really easy to
2: unpick the profitability topic. It largely depends on the market and the products that um, architects deliver. Many large commercial practices are design oriented and as such they kind of sell ideas and original designs. Whereas on the other hand, you have many small to medium practices that provide architectural support services like feasibility studies, technical design, working drawings for clients that are not necessarily driven by originality to the same extent, but more so by cost and buildability. So I personally think that there is less market competition on the design originality and than the architectural support end. So the market competition itself allows larger practices to charge more for their designs as a product than practices competing on the other end of the spectrum. So without drifting too far, there are many areas that generative AI tools can help to drive profitability up. I've personally tested ChatGPT during my part 3 studies and found out it can be very effective when it comes to text analysis and insights. For example, one can input JCT contract and ask ChatGPT to act as a contract administrator and provide options for dealing with contractual matters or to find out clauses related to a particular matter, for example. Um, Therefore, saving time and improving efficiency. You can ask ChatGPT to draft fee proposal or feed in a fee proposal that you've already prepared into it and ask it to further define areas with ambiguous scope of services, keeping in mind that Chatbot cannot really provide accurate fee calculations because it doesn't really have a great understanding of the work involved, but there are other statistical methods that companies can utilize for this. For example, a company can create a database of project fees information and use that to develop... A digital fee scale tool based on real historic data, again using AI to minimize losses derived from poorly defined fee and work scope proposals. Or ChatGPT can be fed with specialist information and act like a sustainability advisor, for example, which could in turn be additional service that the company can offer. All of this kind of raises the question of whether AI is advanced enough to be trusted if there is no expertise to vet the information uh, that's provided. I've personally wrote some design algorithms that use evolutionary solvers and other metaheuristic methods that can generate design options or it can also be used to optimize design depending on preset criteria. They're very effective at early feasibility stages as it can both automate the design process and also allow for more options to be explored. So overall, there are options to employ generative AI to improve profitability, but there has to be some willingness to try out and embrace the change.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Before we go to Alistair, I was just thinking, I can see the benefits in big practices with big projects and um, they've been established a long time if they've got their data in a, in a great database and it's I, I guess it's structured and they could develop their own AI tools and they, they could they could you know do fee quotes on based on historical norms yeah um, I, ca- I, ca- I can absolutely see that I think the smaller practices then are going to struggle unless something comes on the market to help them unless we get into a situation where we can share our data to to move this sort of forward but i love what you're saying about processes and i'm absolutely with you because i work on big projects and and but we don't have a handle we move from one project to the next project and we don't take that data and analyze it in the the right way so we can understand where we went wrong on the last project so but yeah i will i will yeah come in thank you so much
1: Yeah, no, I just thought that was interesting what he was talking about there in terms of uh, having that data and structured data, but also what Jason had mentioned earlier about bespoke design and standardization. And there's a comparison I've drawn in my head, whether it makes sense or not, I'm not sure. But you've obviously got bespoke workflows, you've got bespoke design, you've got bespoke um, computational stuff and and things like that. But you've also got standardization in the form of standard software, you know, which is out there for people. And I suppose standardization of buildings as well. And there may be, you know, a, a tension between the two so that, you know, for smaller practices which are doing bespoke work, might assume they'd use more bespoke tools but they might use more standardized tools because they can't afford bespoke tools essentially whereas larger practices who are doing more standardized work might have more bespoke tools to help them so you've got people you know who could do the computational design and things behind that and i think i think that's just you know what i've seen with my sort of research is you've got a lot of construction technology companies which seem to be emerging from people who have said oh, i've i've worked out a workflow or a need or a problem and I've created a standardized piece of software for that problem. But obviously, that's not going to fit everyone's needs. And going back to that point about data, practices which haven't been around for a long time won't have a lot of data to analyze and say, yes, you know, how, how do we make good decisions for our fee proposals and things like that? But, you know, if you do have standardized software which can help with that, which, you know, which would be interesting if you had an AI pool of architects fees That you could then pull against and go, well, in the south of England, you know, we know that projects of this size and complexity are going to command a fee of around here. And we could share that data. That would be amazing. I mean, that's and that comes back to that whole idea about construction and we're all siloed and we don't talk to each other. We don't share stuff. So all of this AI is based around large language models, a certain set of data and that data becomes critical, doesn't it? because it's like, well, what are we relying on to make these decisions? Because we know there are biases in there and that can have a whole range of different problems. But, you know, from the point of view of if we're using those to create really interesting buildings, but that data set is based around Western style of buildings, that's not very helpful for someone who's in the Middle East or in Asia and things. So bespoke and the sort of standardization side of things and how we we kind of married that that tension between the two absolutely spot on and i'm going to
0: ask a different question related to related to this because i think in the early days of bim there were some government examples of proven using building information modeling i think it was done in revit using Navisworks, and they they proved the concept that i think it was a prison they looked at building i believe I haven't seen any of these examples with AI. Can people give me some real examples of where they've used AI and it's actually benefited and it's cut it's cut say like twenty percent of uh, of their time up? I'm just thinking of practical things that the listener. Where can I go get a tool out there and and utilize it and maybe um, drive some efficiency in everything that i'm doing oh God. so i think at the moment we, with the state of ai
2: it will be most what well, i think the easiest thing will be to implement it in early stage design feasibility stages is because that kind of way you have a little bit more freedom to experiment with these things that's where you need to to go and try a lot of different solutions, which might be really costly. It's very easy for AI to, to calculate thousands of parameters and give you a variety of options. Now, it's for the initial, for, for, for the architects to kind of make that decision-making, but the design will be there for you to use. If you don't implement AI, what you end up is kind of going back to the traditional methods where you create things manually, you, you move things, uh, in a week time, you might be able to produce only three feasibility studies where with the AI or, or, or any kind of computational model, as long as you have that standard model that you can plug in parameters, and that doesn't really need to be such specific things. They could be very, very general because I've been working on some of these. You can get something in a matter of hours. Now, it's not going to be amazing, but it will give you 90% of the solution, which you can then go and, and develop. Or the other thing in terms of profitability is you can go to a client and and show that you've explored a number of solutions. You can ask them what's important to them. So you drive these parameters higher up in the priority list. Obviously, you have the the standard quality, cost and and, uh, fee kind of structure. but, But there are other things that the clients might want and again, these things can be turned into parameters, and they could be fed into the design, uh, into the computational model, and they they can act as a kind of uh, agents to to drive that model. Uh, now, with, when when you move into, I'll say, detail stages, there there are less things where you can plug in AI to because that's when the model, sorry, the the, the 3D model that people are working with regardless of whether it's a building, a site. Um, you have a lot more information dumped in that's not really structured. You can't leverage it; it's just there, and you have to manipulate it. I've seen people just editing site plans in PDF by just drawing squares. That that's absolutely unusable for anyone else. Yes, it might get you across the line,
0: but but it's kind of useless, and you can't use it. Before we go to Gabriel, it's uh, that analogy of changing PDFs on site. I mean, it's like um, it's like building something using the digital model you know, we talk about digital twins, something changes on site and you don't go back and change it in the digital model. So what you have is a, a, a digital model that's completely out of date with the reality of what's been built. Um, Gabriel?
4: Yeah, you, you ask about a practical uh, application about AI. And I remember uh, maybe three years ago, a friend sent me a link about a workshop. I don't remember the name. It was a long time ago. They just received this link. And it was a workshop about uh, solar simulation with AI, and I use a couple of time uh, uh, honeybee and ladybug to simulate uh, radiation levels in in a building facade or urban uh, context. And uh, it's a little bit painful because you need to simplify the model to allow the computer process all the information if you wanna uh, uh, see if. We, we did a uh, uh, research for our schools in Jordan and it's basically very hot there so we, we are trying to find the solutions for this and in this workshop i saw they run uh, a simulation in an entire city so the capability because uh, as i understood the ai was capable to predict uh, some behaviors and speed up the process so instead to make a computer read all the, the precision, all the subdivision in the faces of the, the buildings in the box that you create. AI speed up the process and can calculate all the city. So these kind of situations allow us to understand uh, how big the impact of AI can be. But uh, in terms of practicing in the daily base in the offices, I think they, w- they will become more use it for small tools. Like I develop one tool like prompting for ChatGPT to uh, select objects with all materials applied in a 3D Max. So for me, it's one thing that uh, it's bored in my workflow, but with this tool is just press a button and everything is done. And I create one thing to uh, connect and export a CSV file to using octane it's a small tools that can speed up but i think this is the big deal in inside the offices that we can see uh, in terms of benefit the other tools i i think is just impact shocking because you just prompted but in terms of use it's not uh if you run uh Veros or other softies and they give you back the image if you say okay i want to see in a different camera a different angle how this building will look like they don't repeat the ai don't understand they don't continue the building so um, i think they will take more time to to be in this level of precision
0: but for small tasks small tools it's amazing thank you so much there gabrielle i think alistair you uh you want to come back on,
1: on that? Thank you. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, this yeah, the idea about small tasks, whether you can, you know, that they will help towards what you're doing. Um, it just made me think about a project we, we did last year, thinking about that wider question about where we could see these benefits. And we worked on a project for a really big building uh, and they wanted what we called a configurator. And this, this isn't AI as such. I mean, it's more of an algorithm. You need a logic and then you're talking about kind of automating a process, creating code for that uh, and a script, and then that could be packaged into an application that then, you know, a a, um, a client or a user can can apply to it. And that was kind of one of the key things that I i'm not a software developer i'm not a coder at all and the rest of the team were were really amazing uh, at cope on this and basically what they kept saying was we need a logic so what are you trying to do step one step two step three once you've got a logic and a process you can then automate that process it's unfortunately with with, um uh, well i think for everyone it's quite hard obviously to say well this is exactly what we want to do because a computer isn't going to know what to do unless you tell it exactly what to do. So if you we have this configurator, we're trying to put units, one bed, two bed, three beds into a volume and you have a floor plate layout, you need to say, well, start with the outside boundary, put these blocks in here. When you get to a slightly different shape, stop and put in an infill. Or if you hit a column, don't put a, a, a unit in there. So you could build up this these rules and this logic for it and i think that's you know where from my experience where we've seen this is at the moment for in in construction or in architecture we're we're not you know we're quite far away from letting ai do that sort of thing you know we we still need to work out again going back to a process as uh, Fatan was saying you know having a process we're going to do this then we're going to do this then we're going to do this and having that process defined is what we kind of need to be able to make you know, some benefits or small leaps to move towards, you know, greater use of AI at at a bigger scale. Uh, Hopefully that all made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Does anyone else
0: want to come back onto this before I maybe go into uh, uh, another sort of uh, area? Anyone want to say anything else? Oh yeah, Gabrielle, go
4: for it. Uh, Just a question for Alistair, because every time that you say about the previous use, Before AI, you talk about automation. Can we see? Can we speak that uh, AI is a continuity
1: from automation? It's a next generation after automation. Uh, So you're saying um, that AI is that next step. That's what you're you're suggesting.
4: Yeah, yeah. If you see this this way, are you
1: see this way? Oh, good question. I suppose so. I suppose that's what I was trying to say is that you know at the moment we've kind of got manual workflows. The next step is to automate some of those workflows with algorithms and with process. And then once we kind of maybe establish that, then AI is next. Maybe the next step. Uh, I'm questioning myself whether this is right or not. But I could. There seems to be a logic there. Maybe. Yeah. Good. Good thinking. Right. Okay. Uh, Jason.
3: Yeah, I just have one point to actually also what alistair said um i find it really inter- i mean two, two things he said so i mean i i do feel like the idea of ai being able to learn a process so we can automate it is really interesting but before i found the comment also interesting from alistair as well when you when you look at different cultures or diff- even different architects within one country everybody has a has a different process. And recently, I ordered a an architectural magazine from Japan, and they publish um, houses um from various architects all over the world. And what I always love to do is i like lo- I like to read the description, the process that each different architect went through to to come up with the design. And I feel like if you if you do that, if you read about architects all over the world, you notice that their culture has a huge influence, how their workflow is, how they think about architecture and i I remember this one project from Kitosaki architects they built this small house on a steep cliff side and it was in the middle of the forest but because it was on a steep cliff at a certain point you would be able to see the ocean and the only reason they designed houses on huge like five meter stilts is because there's a local bird, apparently, a local white bird, and they the architect, his solution was, if you build this house on stilts and you you design it in a specific way, so it looks like a bird spanning its wings, it would fit into that area where, on that, that site. And I thought that was really interesting because who would think that way? Who, who would and they, that was his work process, the way he he came up with a building. For example, when I I was recently just in in Malaysia, and I noticed I did did a lot of research about their local vernacular architecture. And I noticed that most of their infrastructure has a very, very Western style of building. And it might seem very efficient that they built this way. But looking at their climate and looking at their culture, it's actually causing more problems than it's creating solutions they for example the native malay malay people built out of wood and they built on stilts because the climate is humid and the building needs to breathe otherwise there will be mold and now they're building these concrete buildings which look modern and people think this is western this is nice this is this is the future but they're having issues with roaches because the buildings produce mold because the way they build it is not ideal for their climate and they're having f- buildings that are getting flooded because they're not building on stilts anymore and where I still see a big issue with with AI is how do you create an automatization that can fit a local culture as well but also fit a specific person as well I still don't know are we all going to go in a direction where the future actually is we all built the same which is which might cause more issues or might have cultures lose, their own identity, which is a big topic as well sometimes. I don't know. I don't have an answer to this. I like the idea of architect, the AI should uh, be a workflow. It should uh, automate the, the process we, we create and build as well in construction. However, if everything is based on one data set created by one group of people, it's. It c- it, I believe it
0: could even inf- negatively influence certain cult- cultures great value there Jason you know adding that cultural aspect and uh geographical location and and will yeah will AI just just give us um a same generic design in any parts of the world I'm hoping that I'm hoping not and I'm hoping that architects will still become architects but architects can just leverage this technology to create better buildings in um in in the sort of countries that they they live and work in i think i'm going to go to a final question and then we'll do do a sort of summing up and as ai continues to evolve what future trends do you anticipate in the field of architecture and how do you envisage you know architects adapting or leveraging these advancements in practice i'll just start with maybe my kind of thoughts I think if um if we can get to a point where we can re- I'm just thinking about I'm thinking about profitability because I believe architecture is unsustainable in many ways uh, the profession of architecture the last podcast I did was on death of the architect so if we can if we can utilize AI for example to we create a design using AI it already understands the codes, the building codes, the building regulations. Um, if it can help us, I guess get to a point where it can do that code compliance for us, and if there's changes, it can it can prompt us to um, show where there's you know issues very much quicker. If we can use that to as a process, that is one benefit I could see. I think the big practices will probably benefit the most uh, from what I was saying earlier. You know, if they've got that, um, say they're doing a data center, they've done three or four data centers, but they've lost two or three members of staff. This is what happens. You know, people people come into a practice, they leave and, you know, they are probably got poached by another practice who wants to do a data center. They've got them skills. But if that practice is c- keeping and, and will keep that sort of data and the learning from designing three data centers, when it does its next one, if it can use AI and AI can learn um, how to optimize that data center, then they're going to have a huge advantage potentially. But what are people's thoughts on the you know evolution of AI? What future trends do you see uh, practicing?
4: Yeah, I think all the boring tasks in the offices will be the focus. Usually, no one likes to do. You, you need to have attention for the numbers when you do a, a schedule with the materials, the consumption to to build something, some uh, the structure. I think engineers are usually are good to to create uh, tools for themselves and apply in the site construction because in the end we create dreams. And we, construction, and it's a huge gap between the dream and construction. So I think the first impact will be in the boring side, like uh, a rendering. Uh, no one likes to wait two days for an image be done in a rendering engine. And by now you can go in mid-journ and prompt something and in a couple of minutes, you have an image done. So I think, this will be the, the beginning. But I don't know about it is the big data that you say. Maybe in the future the, the end will be when the machine becomes an architect. But I have a difficulty to see this happen because the human are always change. We change all the time. We even we we, we the team that we support in football, sometimes we piss off with something and we think about I do not support this team anymore. But the love makes we keep together with the team. Maybe, maybe it's the same, like the cultural aspect and the region, the geography. All those uh, information can be tricky to a machine understand what we want, what the clients wants to to see as a, a benefit in a house or in a hospital. We have a lot of rules about that, and the ideas always improve. I think that the, the AI, for the beginning, will solve this boring task, in the next stage will be a, a kind of co-pilot for more efficient in many ways, and this is start in the beginning. But I think the copilot will be more obvious in a couple of years. I don't think uh, I don't look for uh, softwares like Look X and think this is a copilot for architecture yet. I think uh, the next stage is that, and if something very extraordinary happened with technology and uh, some AI assume the control of the world. Maybe uh, we will see a machine make projects. And okay, I will sell coconuts in the beach. Or maybe I change my professional.
0: And then just to just to finish that, do you think yes or no that artificial intelligence is going to make architects more profitable? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so.
4: And I think they put a uh, uh, lot of big players in in the in the kind of they reduce the difference, the contracts with the big players. If you subscribe for a comp- architecture com- competition, you can think, okay, if I manage uh, a small budget for uh, AI, maybe I can fight against big players and win a-, a competition, architecture competition with a small budget. Like I did some calc here, like you expend the uh, 4,000, more than 4,000 euros per year without that license, and I understand there's a bunch of uh, softwares in uh, architectural construction license. But if you go for arch- architectures, this website they provide beam is just for has- residential uh, buildings by now, but it's just 40% of the price. So it's a huge difference of price. And I'm not saying that I'm not, I can't compare both uh, uh, softwares, but in the future, this will need to to reduce the the, the price, I think. So
0: fantastic, uh, Gabrielle! Thank you so much, uh, Alastair.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really uh, pertinent. Actually, what Gabrielle just said there. Yeah, so we've got all these amazing solutions out there. Uh, how are we going to manage the cost of those? When you're talking about profitability for architects. know i've got a database of construction technology and it's hit 780 different construction technology software and it's expanding like at an unbelievable rate and there's no way i've got all of the software so you know that there's all these options out there how do you manage the cost of all of those as an architect you know whatever scale of practice you are the pressure of software and licenses is huge and as software has gone to software as a service, everything is pay monthly, which is great for flexibility. But it means if you've got a workflow that involves four different bits of software potentially, and then at the end of that process you've got Revit, which is you know which is extremely expensive for what it is, given that it's twenty years old now, that is that is a real pressure. Just on some other things, in terms of what I think will happen go forward, is that I think a lot of these construction software companies that are Developing tools probably in quite a niche area or an area they think there is a there, there's a challenge. So, you know, an example of that is SpaceMaker. SpaceMaker was bought by Autodesk. It's now called Autodesk Forma. Uh, they bought it for like 250 million dollars, and I think that's why there's quite a lot of other software in that area now. And that's one way forward for construction technology companies is to say, let's build something, make it popular, sell it for a lot of money, and and that's a you know that's a viable. Uh, tech startup approach, um, but it it means that there will be, I think, winners and losers. There's going to be people who are successful and, and move forward, and there'll be others who are unfortunately not successful, don't get uptake for whatever reason, you know. Um, but I think that's what the large software houses like Trimble, Hexagon, Autodesk, Nemetschek, they will be on the lookout for those pieces of software which they can integrate into their stable of solutions um which going back to the original point may make things a bit more affordable if you're able, you know if you say well we're with Nemetric we have all of their solutions and we and we understand what the price of that is rather than trying to pick and choose yourself uh cuz it's going to be more expensive but then that might be more of a bespoke route uh, as we spoke about earlier
0: and before i go on to speak to jason Alistair, a question
1: are we going to be more profitable <laughs> i think some people will and some people won't i think it comes down to that that level of adoption their engagement with the new technology how they use it and how intelligently they use it so that they can can be profitable from it and because it's identifying those niches isn't it saying well there's a need here we've got a solution for that need based around this and we think we're going to be better than other people other architects basically and and that's where we we see our see see ourselves you know performing well and you know it's a hypothesis for any company that starts isn't it that says we can do this we think we're great because then they test it and the market basically says yes or it might say no or it might sit in the middle and you've got to be nimble and adapt
0: yeah thank you thank you so much sir jason to answer
3: your question will we be more profitable um i had one point and i'm not quite sure how it works in the UK with with architects. However, um, like me and my partner, we're a very young firm. For example, our software expenses per year are more than fifteen thousand francs, which is for us it's it's a lot, especially you know for a small firm. And I do I want to I do feel like what's going to happen is actually what Gabriel said earlier that only a specific demographic of people will be able to afford architects. And the other part will not, because the way it works in Switzerland, in my experience, the architect chooses um, their clients, um, and they choose the clients in a way that they say they they tell you how much they cost, and if someone can't afford you, you have to look for a new architect. So you will be choosing the people who can afford your costs and your expenses. And unfortunate, how unfortunate it is. It's always going to be the wealthy people who can afford to build. And this is already the case in Switzerland. People, if you want to build a small house, um, I mean, I've worked on a house just last year. Um, the house was 300 square meters. I mean, that's a pretty big house. But, you know, they had to pay more than 3 million francs for that house. Who has that? Who has that type of money? It was a guy who was not too much about him, but working for some American private bank, you know, obviously Switzerland, country of the banks and everything um these are the people who will eventually will be able to afford houses and bespoke designs and be able to have a nice lifestyle and i feel like the big practices the big architecture firms uh, i do see the potential ai will be used for urban planning i i mean i might be wrong but that's where i see the future of ai at the moment urban planning figuring out infrastructure more efficient solutions when it comes to our roads, to moving a certain group of people at a specific time throughout, through the train stations. You know, you need to, you need to plan all this, this stuff. But all the people will be living in condensed, large buildings in urban areas because they can't afford an architect to build a house. And the architects who build houses, they will have enough income to pay for these Softwares. I mean, I can say most of our, I mean, most, most of the projects I've worked on are all private individuals. These are not, unfortunately, not people, who, you know, who, who have a young family, like I'm young, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm renting an apartment, I can't build my, my own house, you know, even though I have my own firm. It will take me like 20 years to get there and it will only get more and more expensive, I guess in Switzerland at least, I don't know for any other countries the people with the money they're buying up the you know the plots that are still left so a lot of architects in switzerland they do urban planning and i see ai has potential there because you'll be using these tools to figure out maybe i don't know maybe these tools can automate different types of configurations how we can make more efficient cities or more greener cities or all these sorts of topics the 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 smaller practices can only survive working for the, the really wealthy people the people who have so much money um you know they they live in Monaco and they have a townhouse in Mayfair and they go there once every four years, you know, like those type of people.
0: Um, it, it's just I feel like that's just where it's heading, you know, just. But AI can be utilized in bigger thinking that you were talking about in terms of urban design and driving efficiency and lame people who are i guess lower down on the salary scale and pay scale live in homes that are still beautiful but obviously much smaller and more densely integrated can I just
2: go in terms of
0: profitability i have a couple ideas that i kind of want to share
2: so for me it really depends on the business model that architects have who their clients are and what are they trying to sell them if if you are good at design you can create a lot of kind of design configurators, get your ideas uh, to, to, to multiple people. So, in a way that you increase the, the, the scale of your business operations, uh, get them out, uh, in, increase the number of clients that you might have. So, so these are kind of the new business models that you can develop. If your client, if, if you are delivering, let's say, a lot of uh, technical drawings and the clients are looking for speed, you can push to automate these things so you give them the speed. So in a way, it it really depends on finding your niche uh, and your unique selling point and see what AI can do to to boost this. So in a way that AI won't really make that much of an impact. It's kind of a natural course of progression, but it will increase competition and the winners will obviously benefit greatly. They'll increase profitability the
0: losers might kind of be driven out of the market, so it's kind of just get out there, see what AI can do for you. What a great way to end the podcast! I love what you just <laughs> <laughs> say there. I mean, um, that's what's been said. I think in 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 the press that you know, if the, those people who don't utilize AI essentially are going to be um, out business, and they're the ones that will not be profitable. And uh, you know you've got to be in it to win it. It's it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely yeah uh, that seems to be the case. But I think what I've heard tonight is there's there's huge possibilities to use it, but at the minute it's uh, it's in its very early stages. I think that's uh, that's fair to say. I just want to thank you all for giving up part of your Sunday uh, to record this podcast. Um, so much value and um, we could talk about this for many more hours i'm sure that's it guys the broke architect
3: the broke architect. the broke architect,
1: the broke architect. All okay. right.